Hello, and welcome to another edition of St. Paul's Letters to America. My name is Ray Gerard. I'm your host for this podcast, and I'm joined by Deacon Bob Hennekes, our co-host. Bob, thank you for being here. Always a pleasure, Ray. Thanks for uh, for letting me do this. Uh, Bob is also in the seminary. Uh, soon I'll have to call him more than Deacon Bob, but that's uh, that's another matter. So he's in seminary uh, on his way to becoming a Catholic priest, so we're very fortunate to have him with us. But this is the program that asks, as we look at the events and things happening in the world around us, would St. Paul have anything, if he was able to view these things, is there anything he would want to tell us? If he was here to write a letter to America, what would he say? Well, join us, won't you? Let's take a look. Today, we're going to talk about, um, that there's an event happening in the world around us that we want to talk about, and this one involves a football player. His name is Jordan Poyer, and I happened to uh, have impartially picked this story because I happen to be a, a longtime fan of the Buffalo Bills. I grew up in Buffalo, New York, and Jordan Poyer happens to play for the Buffalo Bills, so there's no partiality in our selection of topics. But anyways, Jordan Poyer has made national news not just for what he does on the football field, but this week he made national news with regard to a golf tournament. Every year he holds a charitable event, um, and one of the primary beneficiaries of his event is ECMC, the Erie County Medical Center. Uh, So it's a hospital in Buffalo, and so he raises money predominantly for this particular hospital. It's a good cause. Anyways, um, he canceled the event this year. Why? Eh, he just didn't feel like you know helping charities anymore. No, the real reason is because um, he kind of got canceled himself. Um, the golf tournament was going to be played as it has been played, I think at least last year, if not in other years past, at um, Trump National Doral in Florida. Yes, it's a golf course apparently owned by one of the Trump entities. Well, a lot of people have problems even, you know, with Trump, but they also have problems if you happen to play at Trump's golf course. So people sent around, uh, oh, they sent around a series of emails. There were tweets that um, were online. One person wrote, sad to hear you are supporting that criminal. Another person wrote, the fact that anyone is doing anything to line his pockets is just so far beyond me. Um, another man tweeted, however, it's his charity and I'm happy he's running it his, his way. Screw the haters. So we've got hate for the haters. Um, Poyer himself for his, uh, you know, for his, for his own view. Um, he gave, put out an Instagram, Instagram video when he was making the announcement that he had to cancel this. He apparently lamented the fact that egos were getting in the way of, quote, being a good human being. He said, uh, again, this is Poyer saying, quote, I believe in the universal law that the energy you put out is the energy you get back. And we're not doing that right now. All we do is fight with each other all day, fight with each other about politics, about religion, about race. The issues that come up are the issues we create. It blows my mind that we sit here in America today with these issues. Um, But that's that's what happened. Um, Because it was at uh, a location affiliated with Trump, an email campaign was launched. Uh, The primary sponsor for the event backed out. Uh, There is some uh, statements made publicly that ECMC, that, that hospital in Buffalo, was actually the sponsor. And they quickly put out a statement. Their uh, spokesperson quickly put out a statement. That said, no, 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 we're not the sponsor. We're a beneficiary, but we're not the sponsor. They wanted to distance themselves from actually uh, being a supporter of the event. So, you know, I mean, things got around uh, the, you know, the whatever, the, the gossip tree, whatever. I mean, whatever you want to call it or you want to refer to it. Um, you know, the, the barbs started, you know, flying back and forth, hot and heavy. And the end result was the tournament had to be canceled. And the charitable cause that was going to receive money from it then was not 
going to receive money from it. And this, you know, got me to thinking. Why do we, you know, how do, it got me to thinking about how we think about things. What we fill our mind with. Could we, knowing that it was the charitable event that it was going to, you know, benefit this hospital and the people that that hospital serves, the people in need, the people, you know, maybe their children, maybe there's a children's drink, I don't know, but whoever's going to, was going to benefit from the service at the hospital, somebody was going to benefit. Can we put aside the fact that it's at a certain golf course that we, we, you know, for which we don't like the owner? Can't we just put that aside? I mean, really, it was, uh, anyways. Well, was the, was there any involvement in ex-president Donald Trump in this thing, besides the fact that some corporation that he was tied to owned this golf course? Was he a sponsor? Was he doing, was, was there, or was it just the name? The, all, was that enough? Yeah, all I've seen in the articles uh, about this, the only thing that was noted in these publications was that it was at a it was to be at a golf course that is owned in some fashion by Donald Trump. Wow, you know, so obviously they're, I guess you know they've got a sponsor. So obviously, it would seem that the golf course is charging them. You know, the golf course wasn't listed as a sponsor, so apparently they're paying. To to have this event held at the golf course and that in some way benefits Trump, so therefore, the hospital. The net result is the hospital was going to suffer. So, again, the question is how do we think about things? And so, I um, I uh, started, you know, asking, well, what would St. Paul? tell us in America if he was if we could ask him hey St. Paul what do you you know hey they got this golf term it got canceled etc cetera, etc cetera. you know what do you think about it well I would offer I would offer this as to what St. Paul would say whatever is true whatever is honorable whatever is just whatever is pure whatever is lovely whatever is gracious if there is any excellence and if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Think of what is above, not of what is on earth. Think of yourselves as dead to sin and living for God in Christ Jesus. And we too might live in newness of life. How would the world look if we thought of the pure, the beautiful, the lovely, if we looked for those things and we thought of Christ, we thought of what is above, we thought of the promise in heaven, we thought of how to imitate Christ, how to always always exhibit love towards other people instead of spewing out negative comments of one sort or another. These seem to be to be two very different worlds and two very different ways of acting in the world. And beyond this, okay, beyond just having uh, negative thoughts versus good thoughts, beyond that simple little contrast, how about taking it a step further? When St. Paul talks about living for God in Christ Jesus, living in newness of life, St. Paul has talked about putting on Christ, like it's an outer garment you can just put on. And he talks about, you know, uh, Christ living in him and him living in Christ. I mean, there is a spiritual connection that is always so evident in all of St. Paul's writings. So how about we take this a little bit further? How about glorifying God, giving glory to God with your mind. How about giving glory to God with what you think? Can you actually do that? Can we do that? If we have thoughts in our head, we don't even verbalize them. We don't even say a kind word to somebody, but we think kindly about somebody are we giving glory to God? What is glory to God? Is glory to God not, oh, yes, of course, praising God. But is it not living in conformity with how he wants us to live? We have been given 
a tremendous gift. Do we have, we have the gift, we all have the gift of life. Do we have a spark of the divine in us? Do we have a spark of the divine in us? Um, God thought, and I mean, you go back to the various earliest parts of Genesis. God thinks, and it is. God says, let there be light. He thinks this, thought, thoughts in his head. I want there to be light. Let there be light. Boom, there's light. Well, if we have a spark of the divine, when we think, oh, does that have some kind of spiritual significance? You know, if there is the spark of the divine in us, if we are, in fact, made in God's image, as the Bible tells us that, too, because we have this bit of God in us and we're made in his image because we're made to love, I mean, then each of us reflects in some fixed limitation of our physical being something of God's nature and attributes. I'm getting that out of an article I read new ed, uh, in New, new, in, uh, new Advent, um, specifically about glory and giving glory. Each of us reflects, you know, how we live our lives reflects what we're doing with this gift of life. It ref you know, there is, there is some element of the divine in us. Certainly, you know, when, when Jesus says in John chapter 6, hey, you're not going to have life within you unless you eat of my flesh. And every Catholic Mass, there is a holy consecration, and people partake of the one loaf. If we have God in us, then what we do with this gift, what we do with this gift of life, what we do with this gift of the universe, reflects on this element of God that is within us. And so how we think, I mean, when you think about it, the most important part of who we are is what goes on in our mind, how we think about things. If we fill our mind with poison, if we fill our mind with negative thoughts about people, guess what? We're going to, I mean, our soul, our spiritual being is going to reflect that. There is a story that is told. There's a uh, Catholic pilgrimage site that I've gone to many times. And the church's um, official statement uh, about this particular place is still up in the air. The church has called it a holy place. They have not as yet formally announced that the, the apparitions of Blessed Mother that people say have occurred there for years and years uh, have actually been approved. They haven't said that yet. But it's, uh, it's visited by priests and bishops all the time. They lead pilgrimages there. The, pre the, the church does allow that. I'm talking about this place known as Magigoria in Bosnia-Herzegovina. I have been there when, you know, there are masses concelebrated by 30 priests at a time. I mean, there are youth festivals in the summer where 50,000 kids attend mass. I mean, it's, it is a holy place. There are sacraments that go, I mean, there's, uh, there's adoration every day, there's confession every day, masses, multiple masses every day. It's a beautiful place. Anyways, one of the stories that is told there about one of the, the visionaries, and like I said, there's, there's, I can't tell you that this has officially been approved in any respect as yet, but one of the stories that is told is that in one of the early days of these apparitions, uh, Mother Mary was uh, appearing to some children, and um, some, some people asked to touch her. They couldn't see where she was, but they wanted to touch her garment. And the children asked Blessed Mother if that was permissible, and she said it was. And so some people, without even seeing what they were touching, they putting their fingers out in the air where the children's, children directed them, they touched the garment of Blessed Mother. And as some of these people did that, these black spots appeared. And so the children asked Blessed Mother, my goodness, these black spots, what are they? What, what does that mean? And she says, well, these are the sins uh, that these people have not confessed yet. 
um, is that, you know, is, 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 is that maybe like um, a story that could signify what happens to our souls? If we have sins, do we, you know, do we, uh, you know, make ourselves dirty in some way or another? Is that not possible? Why wouldn't that much be true? That if we, in fact, commit a sin, commit a, an offense against God, that it doesn't blacken in some way our soul, our spiritual being. Why wouldn't it? Why would that not be the case? It would make sense, right? It's, that's the feeling that we have when we glorify God. We are typically given the ability to think clearly, be with him, feel comfortable with him. But when we have sins that we have not confessed, we have not turned over to God himself to forgive and, and get rid of, and through a, through a priest in reconciliation, why would it not be, make sense that those were still with us until we go ahead? Now, the church tries very hard, and in, when you're in reconciliation, to actually say, we forgive you for these sins and any others, right? They hope that you are doing that not because of your holding back, but because of memory or you didn't, didn't recall those to clear your soul. But when you haven't done that, when you know of things you've done, you do not confess those and you are holding those back, it would make sense that those would color your soul, would, would cause that difficulty. I mean, when, um, when we're born... Uh, and when we are baptized, are we not pure, white, holy? Um, you know, it, 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 this goes to how we look at the world. You know, if this sounds strange, if this sounds, oh, a little fantastic, um, uh, you know, a little bit on the fictional side, you know, that kind, if that's the way this sounds, is it, is, it, is it because of, you know, how we've been trained to think? Uh, we we live in a in a world of of technology all around us. Is that not how we see the world? But if we believe in God, then we must believe in a spiritual reality. And do we think about that? Do we think about the spiritual reality as it relates to us? Um, you know, very often at Mass, we'll hear a prayer known as the Confidior, and it goes something like this: Oh, I confess. To Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words and what I've done and what I've failed to do. In my thoughts, a part of the Mass acknowledges, acknowledges that we can sin with a thought. Does a, does a bad thought black in our soul. It's a sin. This is an acknowledged prayer that you, that you can hear at Mass. Yes, thoughts can be sins. I mean, Christ said it himself. Yeah, I was just going to say, Jesus said himself, and he used the example, if, if, if we look at a woman in lust, we have already sinned. We've done nothing except look at her and had that thought in our head, that lustful thought in our head, we have sinned. He to Jesus told us that, and that's the idea, that we are to think of him, think of the love of God. Think of the love of God between father and son, and that's what we're trying to think of. That's what we're trying to do. Yet if we look at somebody and are angry with them, if we look at a woman and are lustful towards her, if we look at someone and want to commit some sort of violence, even though we haven't hit anybody, if we want to hit somebody, all of those are sins because of our thoughts, not because of our deeds, right, but because of our thoughts. And Jesus pointed out that those are sins just as much as if the violence really occurs, the lust really occurs. Now, of course, you know, well, you know, but certain things, you know, I mean, you can look at certain parts of the Bible and people can interpret it this way, people can interp interpret it that way. If Christ just spoke about this one particular issue just once, well, then maybe we could, I don't know, maybe interpret it differently and so on. But he didn't speak about it just once from the Gospel of Matthew. The things that come out of the mouth come from the heart and they defile. 
From the heart come evil thoughts. These are what defile, defile a person. The thoughts. Before something comes out of your mouth, you think it. If something come out of, come, that comes out of your mouth is foul, it's because you thought it. You had a foul thought first. That's what def defi defiles. That's what makes dirty. Black spots. Maybe you believe the story from Magigoria. Maybe you don't. But, but believe this. Thoughts, bad thoughts, negative thoughts, accusatory thoughts, judgmental thoughts, um, you know, critical thoughts, uh, you know, that, that, that demean another person. Those are, those are sins. Look, I mean, so, having made the case based on, hey, excuse me, um, what Jesus said, that thoughts can be sins, bad thoughts can be sins, thoughts that contain evil, those are sins. If that is true, then flip it. What can good thoughts do? Yeah, they can praise God. I am taking this gift of this human life, this time on earth that you have given me, and I'm using it for good. Well, why would you do that? When you do good, do you not give glory to God? Take, for example, a guy like, uh, I don't know, how about Maximilian Kolbe? St. Maximilian Kolbe. He did something. Oh, he did many things in his life that gave glory to God. He had a life that devoted to giving glory to God. But the final act of his life, the very last act of his life, was to sacrifice that life. He didn't have to. He gave it up for another person. He took another person's place at Auschwitz, the German death camp, because he was a Happened to be a priest. Oh, yeah, they sent priests. They didn't, I mean, they, millions of Jews died in a, oh, my God, it, an absolute abominable holocaust. But they also, they, I mean, the, the, the Nazis, I mean, hey, you know, they weren't necessarily so quite so discriminatory. Yeah, sure, they killed priests, too. How about that? Um, and one of them was Maximilian Kolbe. But he was executed voluntarily. He took somebody else's place. This person had a family. I'm going to take his place. And we talk about Maximilian Kolbe today. There was a, a mass in Rome where thousands of people attended where he was canonized. We remember that, and he was remembered then. He's remembered now. He's going to be remembered as long as saints are remembered. Because the final act of his life was giving it up for somebody else. Is that not giving glory to God? We remember him now as a saint. What He praised God with the final thing he did. He gave, he made an act of supreme love. We say, talk about imitating Christ. We say Christ is is what? I mean, he's, he's the center of our life. He's the absolute, the, 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 the perfect example of how we should behave towards other people. Why? Because he loved the world so much. He gave his life. He gave his life. He loved people. so. It is the supreme act of love. And Colby did that. When he imitated Christ, I mean, how is, he, how is that not giving glory to God? How is that not praising God. I, he, why did he do that? Because he liked this guy? Well, sure. But he did it because, because of what, what Christ had suffered. Um, because he knew, well, if Christ did that for me, then that's the least I could do is to do the same for somebody else, because I wouldn't be alive. I wouldn't have a chance at eternal salvation without Christ. Of course, it was a praising, it was praising Christ. That was it, the the foundation. The, his faith was his foundation. It's how he lived his life. It's the reason why he lived his life the way he did. It's the reason why he gave up his life for somebody else. He gave glory to God with this tremendous sacrifice of His. And if he can do that with an act, and obviously that act had to be preceded by what? A thought. He had to think about doing this before he did it. 
uh, our, and our thoughts, Ray, don't naturally go that way. A human being has a thought process, um, both intellectual and instinctual. And in both of those cases, we tend to think of survival as the most important thing that we do. We look for food to survive. We protect ourselves to survive. We have a fight or flight um, part of our brain that assesses the situation and decides if it could be deadly, if it could be difficult, we decide whether we're going to stay and fight the foe or whether we're going to turn, beat feet, and, and, and get out of the situation. All of those are for survival in order for us to continue, right? We have those genes. We have that physical capability. Yet when we do what Maximilian Kolbe did, which is to completely obliterate that physiology, that thought process, and allow ourselves to be given for others, like Maximilian Kolbe, but more importantly, like Christ, we are controlling our mind to the point where it overrides what the body and everything else is trying to tell us to do, and yet we do it because of that love of God, that goodness, that greatness. We wouldn't do that on our own. It has to come from God because we have an innate desire to survive, to take care of ourselves, and it is through God and it is through those thoughts that you're suggesting that allow us to turn ourselves around and do something completely contrary to what every fiber of our being is trying to tell us and to take care of someone else, like Christ did for us. But you're right, Bob, that we don't think in these terms that often. We really don't. Um, Archbishop uh, Emeritus uh, Charles Chaput of uh, Philadelphia uh, recently had occasion to speak about the Mass, the Catholic Mass. And he made reference to Vatican II and the events surrounding Vatican II. And in December of 1963, Vatican II had published a groundbreaking document on the Mass, Sacrosanctum Concilium. A few months later, in April of 1964, in Mainz, Germany, there was a, uh, a liturgical conference there held uh, by the German church. Um, and uh, uh, there was a theologian, uh, Father Romano Guardini, who, uh, well, he happened to write a classic work called The Spirit of the Liturgy. And he wrote about the Mass. And he couldn't attend this, this conference. And this was still during the time of Vatican II. Vatican II didn't close until 1965. Uh, so, uh, you know, at this, at this seminal moment uh, in time, when what we understand to be the Mass was being rethought and considered because of, because why? Why did Vatican II make the changes it did? Well, because, because the modern world was, had changed and the church was trying to um, make, you know, keep itself relevant to people in these changing conditions. It was because of the concern for people, it was a concern for the souls that wanted to make sure that, hey, we reach these people in the way that they can be reached. I mean, who... What is the modern person like? And, you know, I mean, we've got to get the message of Christ to the modern person, and how do we do that? That was the thinking, that was the concern of the, at the time. And anyways, this theologian, um, who was uh, well-known to the people in Vatican II, Father uh, Romano Guardini, he sent a letter, an open letter. He couldn't intend in person. Apparently, his health didn't allow it. But he uh, sent an open letter to this um, liturgical conference in 1964, and in it he wrote something curious. He said, Is not the liturgical act, and with it all that goes under the name liturgy, the Mass, so bound up with the historical background, antique or medieval or Baroque, that it would be more honest to give it up altogether? Would it be not, not be better to admit that man in, his, in this industrial and scientific age, with its new sociological structure, is no longer capable of the liturgical act? Well, what is the liturgical act? Archbishop uh, Chaput says it is the transformation of personal prayer and piety into general corporate wor uh, worship, public service. It's the coming together. It's the merging of the individual prayer with the collective prayer in a public display of reverence to God. 
the liturgical act, according to Bishop Chapustil, the liturgical act, this public uh, show of reverence, requires an inward awareness of the unity of the whole person, body and soul, with the spiritual body of the church present in heaven and on earth. The spiritual body, the spiritual church, souls that have passed on, those souls in heaven, along with the souls that are living here, the past, the present, and the future. The church is the church exists outside of time uh, because it is connected to God. This is what you connect with at a mass. That transcendent spirituality, something that goes beyond the bounds of things that we see and, and experience in a particular moment. That transcendent church, that's what is being accessed during the Mass. It is a spiritual event. But, so Archbishop Chaput writes or says, Guardini believed that the spirit of the modern world was undermining the beliefs that made this liturgical consciousness possible. Are we not so aware of the spiritual reality, of the spiritual underpinnings, the spiritual event that is the Mass. Um, Shapu says, we live in a society where the organizing principle is technological. The organizing principle is technological, scientific, and materialistic. We judge what is true and what is real by what we can see, touch, and verify. That's what concerned Guardini, that the, that the modern person is becoming divorced from an awareness of the spiritual. And so do we, are we even concerned anymore with how we think? Um, you know, I mean, are we so concerned with uh, avoiding bad, are we concerned with avoiding bad thoughts? I mean, if we have a real spiritual awareness of God, present in our world, a God who is loving and caring, then we should be aware of a God that is concerned with everything we do, every moment of the day, and most importantly, more importantly than what we do, what we think. That's where the soul lives. That's where, that's where the heart lives. I mean, how we feel, how we think, that's who we are. I mean, how would you identify you if it's not but what you think about things, what you feel about things. Do you feel the presence of God? Do you feel the love of God such that if you have a bad thought, you're ashen and despondent because you may have offended God in some way? If so, then you're spiritually aware. If you have all kinds of negative thoughts and never give them a moment's notice, then perhaps you're not as spiritually aware, you know, when that's going on. Um, at those times, you're not so spiritually aware, perhaps, as we would be better if we were. And probably more likely to carry out those negatives or those, those difficult things. If, if you're in your mind and in your heart seeing something that's bad or wrong, and you want to do the right thing, you're trying, and you try to clear those out of your head, that's a better place to start than after you've physically or physically done something to respond or react to that. Now it's a lot tougher, right? If, if you catch yourself in your mind and say, yes, I'm angry with that person. I'm really torqued off. But I am going to give that thought to God. I'm going to let that go. I'm not going to think about the fact that I'm so mad or physically do anything to take them on. I'm simply going to turn that over to God and let that disappear. We're much better off. We're less likely to commit some sort of physical violence or sin or anything else. If we can control it in our mind first, we are way better off. And that's just a much higher level. That's something that God has given us the opportunity to do, and people aren't taking advantage of it, right? Trying to cleanse their mind of those difficult or horrible things that, that pop into our head all the time. It's not like we can control them popping into our head. It is that we can control and not act on them, to try to clear them out, to ask God's forgiveness and send them to him and get rid of those thoughts, right? We have that opportunity to clear those away from us. And that's what Christ was trying to do. Spend time with God in adoration 
spend time loving him, thinking of him, all the things he did while he was here on earth to allow us to cleanse our mind, our heart, and our soul from those, those evil thoughts and certainly to keep us from doing something that is harsh or horrible or evil. You know, even short of uh, avoiding some kind of a, a, a negative thought because you're giving it up to God, I mean, that's, that's, um, that's probably, you know, a, a saving grace. That's probably a way that we can... I mean, if we think of, um, of God and that it would offend God, that's probably a way that could be a crutch for us, that could provide us the tool we need in order to make it happen. But even short of that, supposing we just do it to try to keep unwanted thoughts away. I mean, if, if you had no concept of God, if you weren't doing it for God, would you still admit that there's some benefit towards trying to control your thoughts? Um, you know, I, I came across uh, an article in uh, healthline.com entitled 10 Tips to Take Charge of Your Mindset and Control Your Thoughts. Um, the uh, author writes that unwanted thoughts can cause plenty of frustration and distress. You're not alone in wanting to make them go away. People don't like to have bad thoughts. There's things that cause stress. So, so there are all these tips. She comes up with all these tips. Identify the thoughts you want to change. Accept unwanted thoughts. Uh, I mean, don't try to just, I guess, you accept them so that then you can deal with them. She says, try meditation. Change your perspective. Focus on positives. Try guided imagery, mental images. Write it out, she says. Write things out. Try focused distractions. Work on managing stress. Talk to a therapist. Anyways, all of this attention, all of this, all of this effort trying to control your thoughts. Hmm, interesting. So the church has taught for millennia that we should control our thoughts. And, you know, a lot of people don't necessarily, you know, they think that, well, they think today the church is rigid. And, you know, if you stand over a child with, you know, a wooden ruler and threaten to smack them on the, on the knuckles unless, you know, they, you know, don't, you know, stop thinking bad thoughts, you know, well, you're very, very rigid. But there's a health benefit to avoiding bad thoughts. Imagine that, a health benefit. It's, it's, it's for, your, for your mental health. It makes sense to control your thoughts and avoid negative thoughts. How would, you know, imagine that. I mean, could it be because um, doing good and not doing bad is in line with the natural order, with the natural law, with laws created by God? Could that be? Uh, there's a person who is a spiritual interfaith minister. That's quite a title, spiritual interfaith. Anyways, uh, she writes, to control your thoughts means to influence the way you live your life. Yes, indeed. Your mind, more specifically your thoughts, affects your perception and therefore your interpretation of reality. When you change your thoughts, you will change your feelings as well and eliminate the triggers uh, that set off bad feelings. Um, and you can achieve a greater level of peace in your mind. The triggers, the triggers. Oh, my God. There's a golf course that's got the name Trump attached to it. All of a sudden, now I'm going into orbit, and I'm sending out emails and posting things and calling people, posting things on, on the Internet. I'm sending out emails. I'm calling other people bad names. I'm saying you shouldn't associate with them. You're a sponsor. You should not associate with them because they're going to host a tournament that is at a course that is owned by this guy we don't like. Is that, what is the thought process? Is that really, does that help your mental health? Does that help the mental health of the people that you're posting these things to? Then read those things. Does, you know, one set of negative thoughts, does that not beget more? Uh, this is the word. You know, we should. There is, there's, there's no stigma now to putting out emails and so forth that are critical of other people and telling other people you need to stay away. When does anybody rise up and say, you shouldn't put that out there because that's a bad thought? You should control yourself better. You should discipline yourself better. No, we, have, we live in a, where there's a smorgasbord of 
negative comments, self-righteous comments. It's called virtue signaling. I feel better about me if I can point out something bad about you. These are, you know, when we engage in these, um, you know, efforts to try to improve society by pointing out the bad parts and telling other people to avoid those bad parts, I mean, what are we doing? Are we controlling our thoughts? Are we controlling negative thoughts? No, we're championing efforts to find the negative in other people. We're promoting negative thoughts. That's not how we should be, people. That's not how. That's that's not the way to live. That doesn't bring us closer to God. It brings us away from God, and that's why negative thoughts like that are, sim- are sinful. They just keep escalating, right? You know, most of the time when when people are wronged or hurt or something's done, they tend to come back, and if they're really thinking, they might think, I can only respond with the same vigor that I was hurt with. And they could keep that at at some sort of reasonable level. But normally that doesn't happen. I get wronged, so I come back, and I'm more vicious towards the other side. And then the other side's more vicious, and the next thing you know, we're throwing nuclear weapons at each other rather than simply talking to one another. The idea here is that we should be not having those horrible negative thoughts and throwing them out. All of us have negative thoughts. My goodness, I know that. I do that all the time. But the answer is to keep that to myself and make that realization that I don't want to throw that at other people, that I want to bring them goodness and not toss out the harshness, the the horrid, because they're only going to respond with either, if they're really good, with equal pressure back or e- equal evil back. And if they're not, they're going to accelerate to go further. And now you've got a full-scale war going on between a couple people. It seems, I agree with you, it seems that today we have a propensity to immediately throw rocks back, get very critical, very fast, and get to the horrid, the horrific of taking somebody else on and telling them what they should or shouldn't be doing as opposed to looking at ourselves and saying, you know, I shouldn't be saying this. You know, I should be thinking about what I'm saying. I should be thinking about what's going on and trying very hard to keep me from being that one that's throwing that stuff out. It's tough to do. And that is certainly the thing that the church used to uh, teach a lot, teach young kids and so forth. It's like, you know, uh, avoid the impure thoughts. Restrict your thoughts. Have discipline over your thoughts. Don't do the bad thing. Don't do the evil thing. So it was a, it was a, you know, where you, as you say, Bob, and which is a good thing. I mean, if you train yourself, restrict yourself, you restrain, you you exercise self restraint because of this, because you because God won't like it, and so you keep the thought comes in your head, but you don't let it come out of your mouth. Good thing, very good thing. But we can take it one step further. While that's good, it's even better to do this. Think good of other people. That's when you start to get closer to God. That's when you actually, just in what you think, can give glory to God. How would you think about giving glory to God? Well, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta pray. I gotta uh, I gotta maybe maybe I, I give up a food I don't like. Maybe I, I fast on a certain you know Friday during Lent, or maybe I do like real fast in bread and water a couple of days a week because um, you know I'm, I'm really trying to be you know maybe um, you know hey I give to charity. Maybe I volunteer to to serve in some charitable organization. That I'm giving glory. I'm giving glory. I'm giving glory to God. Sure, those outward things that you do all sure, um, but and and. And why is that? Well, look, if you volunteer, let's, let's say you go and you volunteer uh, to help people at a, at a nursing home. You visit people in a nursing home, whatever. You're spending actual time. You're giving of yourself. What is that? Well, it's a, it's a form of love. I mean, you're extending the kindness to another person uh, who's beloved by God, and so you're showing love to someone beloved by God. Jesus says, hey, when, you know, but people ask Jesus, when did we see you tired or hungry? And he says, well, you know, when did you see anybody tired or hungry? So when we, you know, like I said, we volunteer to visit, you know, people in a, in a nursing home or something. Okay, the tired, the hungry, the old, the, 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 the infirm. We're doing a service for somebody else loved by God, so we're loving them. 
we're loving God. Sure, that's giving glory to God. Well, if you just think about a person in a good way, you're also showing love in your head, but you're showing it. You're giving glory to God. You're telling God, yes, that's the person that, that you love. That is a good person. I see that. I mean, how is that not connecting, praising, um, you know, uh, respecting God? I mean, we, you know, besides just avoiding the negative, we can do the positive in our heads. We don't think about it that often, and maybe, you know, we should. Um, you know, to continue with the football analogy and to prove that uh, I am fair and open-minded about things, um, I'm actually going to talk about a couple of guys uh, from the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, in Missouri, uh, a lot of people here, they like Kansas City, the, the Chiefs. Uh, as I said, I'm a Buffalo guy, and they've been, our, they've been the thorn in our backside a couple of years running now here in the playoffs. So I'm not really a fan of the Chiefs. But grudgingly, I will acknowledge a couple of guys on the Chiefs. Um, one of them is a name, uh, this guy by name of, oh, I, you know, he's, and people may not have heard of him that much. His name is uh, Mahomes, uh, Patrick Mahomes, one of the best quarterbacks in the league. One of. We've got one in Buffalo. But anyway, um, at a news conference ahead of uh, Super Bowl, he said, quote, I know that I'm blessed to be in this position. And so to have a faith backing, I know why I'm here. And it's not about winning football games. It's about glorifying him. Uh, here's the next part. He says, I have no pressure when I step on that football field because I know why I'm here. Why he's here is it's about glorifying him. And he doesn't feel pressure because on the football field, he doesn't feel pressure. He's got 80,000 people. He's got a national television audience. You know, we've got this, this person on healthline.com. How do you avoid stress? Well, here, focus on the positive. Here, do this. Here, do that. Patrick Sohomes doesn't have a problem with it. Avoiding stress, he f doesn't feel any stress. And the, he's got the most stressful position on a football team. I mean, he's the one who's got to you know what everybody else is doing. Uh, and not only on his own team, but on the defense so he can find the right guy to throw to. Uh, you know, not to feel stress in his situation. Why? Why, why are his thoughts uh, so divorced from, you know, these problems, uh, from this stress? Why are his thoughts clear and peaceful? And, and, and you know, why does he feel solitude? Because he knows why he's here. It's about giving glory to God. Um, well, you know, I guess if I've extolled the good features of one Kansas City chief, I suppose I can find the strength to do the same for another. This would be the Kansas City Chiefs kicker. His name is Harrison Butker. He makes no secret about the fact that he's a man of the faith. He makes no secret about his Catholic faith. And in Super Bowl 57, the score was tied 35-35. to 35. There were only seconds remaining in the game. Bucker kicked a field goal to give the Chiefs the Super Bowl victory over the Philadelphia Eagles. Well, people haven't noticed something. During the game, he was wearing a brown scapular. That's a Catholic um, devotional item. He used to signify devotion to uh, the Mother Mary. Uh, it it's, comes from uh, the Carmelite uh, order, Carmelite uh, section of the faith. Anyways, um, he said uh, after doing this, he's, after kicking this game-winning field goal, he said the offensive line did a great job blocking, great snap, great hold, and thankfully the ball went through. All glory to God, he said. Here's another guy with a stressful position. He's in a very stressful position. Whether his team wins the Super Bowl or not is all on what he does. And he kicks that field goal. And you got to think, well, maybe – he was able to function in the moment, wasn't overcome by stress because maybe he has a little peace of mind. Maybe he also knows that it's about living glory. I mean, his faith helps him. Um, you know, and so if you're looking for ways to cope with, you know, mental issues, mental stress, mental, you know, if, you, if you've got unwanted, you know, thoughts, if you've feeling mental unrest, mental disturbance, 
turning to God might be a good way to, to find your way out of those problems. And if you want to go a step further, it's not just about you. If it's about God himself and you want to give glory to God, then why not fill your mind with thoughts of, of other people that, in a good way? Um, you're then, you know, I mean, there is a spiritual reality. Even if we're not so aware of it, even if we're not so prone to being aware of it, because our modern world teaches us to look at the world differently. Um, you know, um, maybe, hey, if you're, if you're a scientific kind of person, if you think, as, this, as the culture does, that the, the truth can only be found through science, well, here, try an experiment. Try um, clearing your head of negative thoughts, thinking good thoughts about other people, and think about it, and think about when you're doing it, whether or not you're pleasing God when you do. Um, maybe the end of that experiment will be that you feel more peace. Maybe try it once, maybe twice in a day, and, and try to feel whether or not this is pleasing to God. And if you have any sense that it is, then just tell him it's to praise him. Give him the glory. You can do it in your mind. We don't, if we don't think about the need to... You know, think in ways that are pleasing to God. Try it. We can actually do that with how, with that very, with just simply the things we think. We can give Him glory. Anyways, um, we are going to uh, end this program like we always do, and that's and that's with a prayer. And as we always do, we're going to impose on on Deacon Bob to help us with that. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Heavenly Father. The world is tough. It's a difficult thing. It's a hard place. We cannot do it on our own. We struggle. We're children. We have difficulty. Allow us to truly look to you, to lead us to all the right decisions, to lead us to all the right things, to lead us to allow our mind to clear and to find out what it is that's right and wrong. It is through you that we can do that, Father. It is not through ourselves. We are children. We make mistakes. We do things wrong. But if we can open up ourselves, our mind, our heart, and our soul to you and allow your Holy Spirit to come in and show us the right path, we have that chance of doing well, of doing the right things, of following you and taking care of others here on this earth to allow them to see who you are as well. And we pray all this to your wonderful and glorious Son that preached to us, that taught us, and mostly he showed us by stretching his arms between here on earth and to heaven to give you glory and to allow us the chance to come to you, Father, in heaven, following his example. And we pray all this in his name, who is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, Father and of the and Son, Son, and of the Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless.